buying and selling real estate, it can be a tough business to navigate. Sounds like you need some friends in the know. For instance, two longtime Twin Ports real estate professionals who know the ins and outs of the market. This is the Twin Ports Real Estate Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAM. Welcome to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Jim Ron and Gary Callagher here on this Saturday from 12 until 1 o'clock on KDAL 610 AM. Mr. Callagher, good afternoon. How are you doing today? Well, Jim, it's frigid and it's cold. And uh, I had a first this past week that something I haven't done in decades. What's that? There was one day. Uh, Three layers of long underwear. No, I didn't leave my house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go outside, and that's that's something that I haven't done for quite some time. I think it was Super Bowl Sunday, the day the Super Bowl was on. I thought, ah, what the heck. We'll just stay inside and cook some food and do whatever. But yeah. um, um, quite the cold scent that we got going on up here in the Northland, and it's uh, – it's, I don't know how it, it – uh, you know, fares in the terms of historical significance, but man, is it cold. And uh, I always say this is a good time to look at homes like it is in the spring. Uh, and I, and I believe that, but um, oh, I don't know about you, but the real estate activity really slows down when these events happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, people don't want to look at homes and we're not really, we're really okay with not showing them when it's 10 below and people don't like to even show their home because you know it can get it's so cold they don't want to leave so i mean I, uh, it, it it slows down a little bit for sure um so let, let's run back to that super bowl what did you think of that game well it didn't surprise me really it, um i, I thought it, kansas it shocked city me would that, put up more of a fight but uh yeah they didn't um, score a touchdown that shocked me yeah but uh, yeah, it um, it didn't re- it really it didn't surprise me. I kind of figured Tampa Bay with that defense they have, and then with Tom Brady, right. it's. Uh, I think that Mahomes was gimpy. I think he was way gimpier than anybody let on. So, well, he had surgery on his toe this week. He hurt his toe several yeah. weeks ago. Yes, and, so I uh, think that was yeah. I think that it, was it, underlying factor. Well, it didn't help, but uh, congrats to Tampa. Yeah, home. T- Team, home stadium, first time ever. They win, and uh, we move on. What do you think about the uh, boat-to-boat toss of the trophy? I thought it was great. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was great. It was no masks, and uh, I did just – well, we won't get into the politics here. We can get into all that stuff, but um, it's interesting. And, uh, you you know, when I watched it, and I watched it several times – the only thing I could think of was like, oh, my God, I wish I was there just because of the weather. Everybody's in short sleeve shirts and shorts. And I'm like, it just looks so beautiful, the weather down there. Right. Yeah, it's it's for sure. And then, um, you know, he's celebrating a uh, Super Bowl victory where, you know, like in New England, it might not have been Duluth cold, but it would have been chilly. And, uh, you know, so it's it's different to watch them celebrate in the sun. Um, I do. I did. I, and this is just the last thing. I did get a kick out of his his daughter or son saying, "Don't do it, Dad." <laughs> just as yeah, he was, was just his, as his he was young daughter. Going. So, 
it's pretty funny. So, I like the game. I, I like the... Uh, uh, it was... I thought it'd be more competitive, too. I, I just thought they would... They kind of laid down after a while. But, anyway, it was over. And uh, it was it was good to have a Super Bowl in this COVID year. And, uh, hey, yeah, I enjoyed it. Jim, we got a uh, kind of an interesting show to talk about today. We got a yeah. lot of good topics here. And I know we're going to start off here talking about one of our favorite topics here that's been in the news for a few years, the Cozy Bar. But we're also going to talk about uh, some of the things that are going on in the marketplace. And uh, one of them is with multiple offers. And uh, with the spring season coming up, um, rest assured, there's going to be a ton of activity. You're going to get multiple offers on everything. And how can you as a buyer uh, try to increase your chances of getting your offer accepted? Uh, we'll talk about that in the next segment and then uh, talk a little bit about what some of the biggest states were where people were moving out of and and also on the flip side of that, what some of the bigger states that people were moving into. So uh, interesting topics to talk about today. And uh, But we got the cozy to lead us off, the cozy bar. Wow. Yeah, without the cozy, we'd be missing a lot of topics that we had talked about over the last, whatever it is, seven to ten years. So it's just always, it never goes away. <laughs> it never goes away. It's like uh, Groundhog Day, and uh, uh, here we are. Um, but I, I'll tell you this. I'm becoming a really big fan of uh, Keith Nelson, one of our county commissioners, and he's he's one of the range uh, commissioners. But, uh, you know, that guy kind of tells it like it is. He doesn't pull any punches with people, and uh, you may not like his style, but he's, he's a he's – a, uh, He's one of those guys that just doesn't pull punches. He tells it like it is. It rubs some people the wrong way, but but I uh, I I like hearing the things that that guy has to say. I think. Oh, he, give me uh, give me an example. Well, I mean, he's you know he's he really blasts. He's been blasting D- Duluth over the last couple of months, and you know, recently he called Duluth a cesspool. Yeah. And I believe he certainly was referring to some of the political climate here. Uh, Duluth certainly isn't a cesspool. You know, when it comes to to the town and the residents, there's a lot of uh, tremendous things in this this city that is is good. But but some of the political climate people it rubs people the wrong way. Obviously, our taxes are way out of whack, and so I think that those are just some of the things that that uh, that he looks at. And uh, uh, but I think with this particular issue is uh, on this one this this lawsuit that. We're dealing with, with the cozy this past week to where the, the county's going to pay up to 190000 right. to Eric Ringsred and Paul King, who were Eric Ringsred bought this property from Paul King many years ago. Then they had the fire. He didn't have insurance on it. And it's it's went into disrepair and it's dilapidated. And we all know the story of it. Um, prior to all that happening is uh, after the fire, Eric Ringsred is um, – one of those guys that has a difficult time paying property taxes on his properties. Right. And if you don't pay your property taxes in St. Louis County, uh, after a period of time, they will take the property. It will go into what we call tax forfeiture of where the county can, can take it back. And it used to be five years and I think it's three years now. And so in 2017, um, uh, Eric Ranger and Paul King filed a lawsuit against the county uh, claiming that they believe that they took that property back too quickly, that they didn't allow enough time to remedy the situation. You know, when, when St. Louis County uh, took the building back, they 
they sold it to DITA, uh, the Duluth Economic Development Authority. And uh, DITA is the current owner of it. And they, um, they felt that that process of tax forfeiture was, well, didn't allow enough, enough time for them to, like I said, remedy the situation. And so um, uh, instead of going on with some lengthy litigation and, and, and you know, dragging this thing out, um, the county decided to cut bait with it and pay them the money and, you know, get themselves moved on from all of this. Yeah, it's another and phase so, of closure if it ever happens. Well, I, I think part of the settlement is... Um, you know, there's. I don't think they're going to get all this money. I think you know they have to. There's some some taxes that are owed on some of the other properties that uh, Eric Ringstead owns, and I think that that's going to be something. I think the St. Regis Hotel, which we talked about recently, or the St. Regis Apartments, um, that those taxes have to be paid. Uh, and then uh, I believe that there were some uh, uh, some other outstanding debts that that have to be settled as well that come out of that. And so, um, um, but interesting enough, and, and I believe that this is something, you know, like I said, Keith Nelson, this just doesn't sit well with him. And he, he basically said, you know, he really wanted to compliment the people in, the, in St. Louis County that paid their taxes when they were due. And, you yeah. know, most of the people pay their taxes when, when they're due. And um, I think it was just kind of a slight at, 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 at uh, the owner of this property saying, you know, hey, why are you so different? Why? What makes you different? Why don't you pay your taxes? Everybody else pays them. You know, what the heck? And and I kind of agree with them. I mean, like, you well, know, why do people do this? Why do people think that they can just not do this? Are they not managing these buildings right? Uh, you know, you and I have talked about this. Some people just shouldn't get involved in businesses that they can't run correctly. I think when people go into business, uh, and real estate is certainly a business, real estate you know, investment property. Uh, you know, if you're not running your properties right, what are you doing it for? And you know, the thing is, is that when you, when anybody sets up a business plan to get into owning real estate to rent for others, or even owning real estate to enjoy themselves, one of the things that's always in your budget is taxes. One of the things that, you know, if you're going to get a mortgage that will be taken into account with the bank is the cost of your taxes because you have to be able to afford it all. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's 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 a no-brainer. It's um, They're connected. You have to pay your taxes or, or, you know, you're not going to own real estate forever. But, yeah, very interesting story. Gary, we got, we're coming up on a break here. But, yeah, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly and agree with that that. Um, counselor, that commissioner as well. That you know, you know, the the rest of us pay our taxes, pay our bills on time, and then you know, some people don't, and they like to push it right to the edge. I, I've heard stories of people losing properties for you know tax reasons, uh, you know, over my career forever. You know, and it their excuses are very silly. A lot of them will pay the last year that they have to you know what i'm saying so now they're at the end every year every year they're at the end they got to pay their taxes or lose their property so to me it's just silly all right gary we're going to take a break here and we'll be right back you're tuned into the twin ports real estate show and we'll be right there so back so hang in there
welcome back to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Jim Ronding and Gary Gallagher here from Remax Results, right on KDL 610 AM. Gary, why don't you give out your phone number? 218-390-0615. All right, and my number is 218-348-7653. Okay, Gary, so um, let's talk about multiple offers because certainly... <laughs> The temperature hasn't heated up, but the market already has. Um, and in particular, I, I know that you wanted to talk about some things that are going on in Minneapolis, um, and, and that is very true. I've, I've heard also that they have offers that are that are so deep that it, you know, do you ever even have a chance? Um, and my wife was telling me about a, a, a property in. Um, I want to say it was, well, part of the cities, but it was like an $870,000 house. And in the first day they had seven offers on it, you know, so it's a pretty big high price point in order to have those numbers of offers. Um, but it is happening everywhere, isn't it? Well, you know, we belong to Remax results and Remax results, you know, has a, uh, a Facebook page called the Results Mastermind Group, where there's somewhere around a thousand agents that are, you know, part eight, part they're agents of the the Remax Results brand uh, throughout Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Minnesota and Wisconsin. And there was an interesting post earlier this week, and it was some of the concerns around working with buyers and buyers going through this process of bidding on houses and never winning, never being able to, never getting their offer accepted. And there was one particular uh, case they were talking about where this house came on the market and they were told by the listing agent that there were 50 offers on this house. Yeah, wow. And Jim, how do you compete when there's 50 offers on a house? I mean, and and and, and be the seller for a second. You got 50 offers on your house. Yeah, I think we Which should. I think we should talk about this from both sides. If you're the listing <laughs> yeah. agent or the buyer agent, you know. How do you know? I mean, which one to take? Because you can only take one. You can't. Right. You can't sign two offers. Well, I think um, that part. I, I think on the seller side, even though there's 50 of them, right? Um, that certainly makes it a challenge, but. I also know that with 50 offers and you and I would go through all 50 of them first probably before the seller and we would we would sort them right I mean you could sort them by price you could sort them by qualification sort them by cash certainly if any of them are cash closing date earnest money you know I think you could sort 50 offers down um, to, to get it uh, presentable and, and obvious maybe a Maybe obvious to a seller which one to take, but you're right. As a buyer and a buyer's agent, what do you do to get in the door when you got 50 offers? Well, and and so we've come up with 11 ways to get your offer accepted in a seller's market. There we now, go. this isn't this isn't going to guarantee that your offer um, gets accepted, but it's something to think about because I think when you when you're in competition and then some of this i think falls on real estate agents jim that they uh you know they sometimes they just don't know how to advise their buyers you make it somebody that's an agent that's new in the business or very inexperienced 
and I just don't know how it works yet. Right. And so trying to advise them as to what to do, I think, is important. And, you know, really, I think the number one issue uh, when you're looking at it is uh, these offers are make your offer as clean as possible. Yep. And the other thing that I think when you're when you have that many offers, you have to uh, understand that some of them are going to be cash. Right. People are going to have, have cash, and those are typically going to be your strongest offers. Uh, and so, keeping those offers clean, no contingencies. You certainly can't make it subject to a house selling. Um, you you know, if you start asking for you know all types of personal property, you know. Those are things that, you know, you just really can't worry about uh, when you're in uh, multiple offers. Um, the other thing is asking for closing costs. You just, you can't do that on new listings anymore. Buyers cannot ask sellers for closing costs and expect to get their offer accepted. It just right. doesn't work that way right now. Um, some of the other things in terms of keeping your offer as clean as possible, Jim, and this is a little bit more risky, is removing the inspection contingency right and you know we've certainly suggested that to people and some people will do it they're comfortable and confident enough and they're 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 savvy real estate people they know how to buy, buy houses they bought and sold more than one of them and they're comfortable not doing it but some of them aren't uh, and so giving up your inspection contingency and i'm talking the home inspection your radon testing your mold you know, whatever you want to do, um, by not putting that in there, there's a there's a certain level of risk that you as a buyer uh, are going to take just uh, to keep that offer as clean. So, um, but if you really want the house, those are just things for you to consider. Um, and then let's go on to number two: um, offer above asking price. Yep. And obviously that's, you know, most people are doing that for sure. And they're doing it. This, uh, this article that I read about it, they had a number in there of two to $3,000 above asking price. That's unrealistic in today's market. Um, you know, I know last year we were, when we were in multiple offers on these houses, you know, our buyer's starting point was, was having to offer at least $10,000 over the asking price just as a starting point. And I know I was involved in one to where we offered $30,000 over the list price and we still didn't get it. Yeah, let me ask you a question about that. So when you offered $30,000 over the list price, you obviously must have had issues or worries about an appraisal. Did your buyers, like some of those people do, um, did your buyers go as far as to say, we'll pay the difference? between the appraised price and the sale price, if there is one? Well, that's actually one of the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the things that you can do in, in, in this article is, is uh, you know, waiving the appraisal contingency. Right. Uh, to where you say, hey, you know, we're going to offer you $150,000 on a $120,000 home. And if the appraisal comes in and it, it uh, only appraises for 120, uh, we'll pay the thirty thousand dollar difference. Right. We'll give you the 150. Uh, and so, yes, waiving the appraisal is is a trend that you've certainly seen in today's marketplace, where the buyers agree to pay the difference if that were to happen. Um, and and so, um, but 
putting down these, you know, offer, offering above asking price, Jim, it's, it's just something that buyers are going to have to deal with in today's market. And it's, it's something that, that you just, when we talk with buyers and we get them ready to go into the marketplace and start looking for houses, you have to have this conversation with them up front. You have to condition them as to, as to how it works, because if you don't, and, and you start looking at houses and then you get into the, the uh, an offer situation, then there are several offers on the house and you tell them that they're going to have to offer these types of numbers above and beyond the asking price. Sometimes they, they can't process it. They can't come to terms with it. And and so having that conversation up front uh, before they start looking at houses is is very a very important part of the process. So they're conditioned as to what they're going to uh, be involved when, when they start looking at houses. Right. Yeah. It, it's, um, I think that, you know, when you get into a situation where you have so many offers like that, it's like, it's like winning the lottery. Um, if you have 50 offers, I mean, let's just think about that one situation. Certainly a percentage of them are going to be cash. Um, and those are the let's let's say that you know ten percent of them are cash. Well, now you've you've kind of you've kind of cut it down to five offers. Looking at the seller side, um, then it's just basically a price war and a closing date war and earnest money. You know, it's very interesting. And and Gary, let's say that you know, are there things? Let's say so. I've got a I've got a I got a question. Let's give you an example. I don't have multiple offers on this property, but I think it's going to. Um, questions about an FHA offer, a conventional offer, and um, it, you know, for you and I, when it comes down to a conventional financing with twenty percent down, and um, you know, versus an FHA offer with you know, basically three and a half or five percent down, uh, and there's let's say there's a price difference where the seller's going to gain more if they go with the FHA financing. In your mind. Um, which offer usually wins? Well, I, I think um, conventional to me is is always a path of least resistance. I think cash right. is certainly king, but you know when you're dealing with financing and you're dealing with whatever mortgage product, be it conventional, FHA, VA, uh, first time home buyers program, um, American Dream, you know the all those types of programs. These government-backed mortgages, which is what FHAR, VA, right. first-time home buyer, American Dream, all those things, these are, are what we call government-backed mortgages, and they always are a little bit more restrictive exactly. in the process than conventional. And so, you know, what the path of least resistance in this offer, Jim, is always the thing that keeps reoccurring to me, and and what I always keep telling you know my sellers is you know here's offer a b c d e whatever um and um not that i don't like fha not that it doesn't work but again they're a little bit more restrictive and is that something that your seller wants to deal with if they understand how it works well and and you know my i you brought up you went right exactly where i wanted you to go because the reason I brought it up, brought it up, is like it's been a long time now. But the VA had had kind of cleaned up their offer requirements because they found that they were out there in competition with other offers, and the veterans weren't winning. Um, 
you know, they had re- they had requirements for the seller to pay some fees and things, and now all of a sudden they took those away. It wasn't a requirement. So I want to move that and, and talk to you about what do you think about, don't you think FHA should do something? Because this is what I have thought for years, okay? I mean, there are certain facts that I think that they have to remember. One of them is, is that we, you know, we're all getting older and so is our housing. And when you put these strict um guidelines on financing that are related to the house that a conventional product won't instantly don't you believe that they put themselves at a disadvantage when their qualified buyers are going in competing with somebody who is going to win just because they have a different loan type i I, i'm very surprised that they haven't amended things to to ease that track a little bit what are your thoughts are you there yeah yeah i got you now i lost you for a sec okay I don't think that's the fault of the program, Jims. No. I think that these FHA and these government-backed mortgages, I think they're, they're necessary uh, uh, loan programs. I really do. But I, I think the buyer and the buyers are choosing to get these. I think from, from the buyer's standpoint here, and I think this is, again, a conversation you have with the buyers up, up front because we're going to know the type of financing. And I think you just simply have to condition these, these buyers to the, to the fact that if this is the type of financing that you have to use, you are going to be at a huge disadvantage here when you're in multiple offers because the, the government-backed mortgages simply don't get accepted as much as conventional or cash. And just let them know that, you know, so they know that. But, but listen, these programs are great and they serve a purpose. I mean, they're, they're low-down payments. Um, the VA is no is is no down payment, and and the VA has gotten massively better over the last few years. Uh, you know, understanding that the the vets buying houses, hey, they, they deserve them. I mean, I've seen some stuff on the appraisals that I'm like, oh, this is going to get called, where they didn't call it. Right. And so I, I think the VA has done a great job, and I think personally that a VA offer. Um, appeals to people's emotions on a, on a different level. If you have a seller that was a vet that was in, in, you know, you know, whatever war and, and he gets a VA loan, he may prefer that loan because he identifies with the vet. And so I think that there are emotional things that sellers and buyers both deal with on this stuff, but I don't think it's, there's nothing you can do about the type of loan program that a buyer has to go with. The only thing that we can do, Jim, is just simply tell them, hey, you're going to be at a disadvantage here. So they know that. And if they lose on five, 10 houses, you know, because of multiple offers and FHA financing, they either come to terms with it, it's just going to be this way. And it may take us a year or so to find a house or, if they have other options to do different financing, you know, that's something that they can consider. Maybe, but maybe here's that's my an point. option down the road. My point is, is that when, when you've got FHA and conventional buyers that are competing with cash offers, and when you and I can line them up, let's say from five to one on which is the best offer for a seller to accept, I know that the federal government does want those FHA offers to compete. And I believe that if they took a real hard look at things, they would figure out a way to make the, the process more streamlined, the money to be more guaranteed, to be so much closer to cash, um, because they, they could easily have this vetting process done. They could be so much farther along you know, with people so much quicker. 
Um, but how, how do you how do you handle like let's say for example you're in multiple offers and we talk about waiving the appraisal contingency? How do you handle that in an FHA or VA loan when part of the financing addendum is that you have the the escape clause that if the house doesn't appraise that the buyers can walk? I mean, how do you waive something like that uh, when it comes to that when that's going to be a requirement of the lending? But here's what I'm saying. I think that I think they're going to see that the, that that their clients and customers are losing out to other offers so much that they're going to be forced to rewrite those things and come up with new ways to make it easier for their mortgage to be acceptable into the mainstream and into that competition. It might be too late to, you know, I mean, it might be years down the road, a couple of years or whatever, but they need to make some changes to make an FHA loan more competitive in the reality of like today's market. I agree with you on the VA. I think the VA is much better. I think that you're right. The heartstrings come out. Um, but yeah, let, hey Gary, let's 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 take this up. We got to take a break here. Let's let's take this up though and finish it after the next after this break. So, folks, stay tuned. You're tuned into the Twin Ports Real Estate Show, and we will be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Jim Rodney and Gary Callagher here from Remax Results. If you want to reach me, folks, my telephone number is 218-348-7653. And Mr. Callagher, please give out your digits. Jim, I'm at 218-390-0615. And I want to mention something here. Uh, one of the hot uh, uh, property uh, this so far this spring is land. And Jim, I was looking at the uh, stats earlier this week, and uh, there's been 395 properties that are pending right now. Yep. 107 of those are land. Wow. So that that's that's a lot of land at this time of year. And I'm always one of those guys in terms of real estate and land. It's like I don't like buying land in the winter time. If I can't see it, it it's very difficult. And uh, and I'm and so to see that number of of land properties pending, waiting to close, that really caught my attention. So land is hot this year. Multifamily is real hot right now as well. If you've got these properties, give Jim or I a call. We can come out and uh, help you out with that. Yep, got it. Um, all Jim, right, Gary, talking so- about this, going back to this financing, I want to touch right. base a little bit more on this FHA and VA and stuff. One of the other things in terms of multiple offers is is earnest money. And you're a big advocate in multiple offers about putting as much earnest money down as you can. Right. And with the FHA, this, these are programs that people typically just, they don't have a lot of money. I mean, they've got to come up with three and a half percent of their own money, but that's not, you know, that's a lot of money for some people. And to ask somebody to put five or $10,000 down on earnest money, if they don't have it, that's just not going to happen. And, and so, you know, you're, you're just dealing in, in a situation with buyers that are, have these types of loan programs that they're u- using. They're just at a disadvantage. And that's really the, the bottom line. And when there's multiple offers and these markets are hot, um, they just have to understand that they're, they're at a disadvantage because of this. And, and there's nothing any of us can do about it. And if FHA can come up with something that can, you know, guarantee stuff um you know make these guarantees to people maybe that will help the percentages of those loan programs uh, getting accepted but um you know buyers they have to borrow money for down payment assistance they have programs for that type of stuff and and so 
it's just a more complicated, restrictive process, and I'm not sure what what the federal government can do to help. Well, I think here's one thing I think they could do to help for sure, and it, it just makes total sense to me. It's made total sense for years. Is if you've got a if you've got a borrower, everything is lined up. I know that we all have to have skin in the game, but they have their down payment, but they're short on closing costs, and you know the market is as robust as it is. Why don't you let them roll the closing costs right into the loan? Because asking the seller to pay it on their behalf is not working anymore. They, they are seriously at a disadvantage in multiple offers. And they're stuck then. They cannot buy the house. They're going to have to just go back to the drawing board and save and save and save and save until they have, you know, I mean, in, in some cases, you know, they got to they gotta save an extra seven, $8,000, $6,000. And that's hard based on, on what they're making on a monthly basis yet they qualify for the mortgage easily. You know, well, so I, I just think it's silly that they don't allow that to be wrapped in to their mortgage for a good client. But here's, here's I'll be the devil's advocate. Here's a drawback right. to that. And, and this, is, this is something that the VA loans have been dealing with for, forever. Right. And this is something that, you know, I've talked, when, when people are doing VA loans and I talk to them about this, uh, this is a big issue because VA loans can roll their closing costs in. Right to the mortgage, they can do that. They can. They also have what's called it's called a funding fee. Yep. The the VA says that hey, we have no money down programs, but it's not really no money down because right. they they also have what's called a funding fee, and that funding fee can range I think from from two to three percent, and so uh, they can in, in essence say roll up to six percent of the cost associated with getting this mortgage into their loan. And if you're paying $100,000 for the house and you're rolling your closing costs in at, say, 3% and you've got a 3% funding fee, well, if you get the house for hundred grand, you owe one hundred and six. Sure. And so one of the drawbacks to this, and this is something that I'm, I'm very um, wary of in today's market when we have these overheated markets and everything is escalating, um, just at a rapid pace, people that are paying the prices for these houses right now, if this market corrects the, itself, Jim, what's going to happen? What happened in 2007 after the market completely escalated out of control for how many years? And then we hit the brakes. Yeah. And people that bought those houses in 2005, six, and even in the early part of 2007, they paid massively over... Um, prices over what the market was once it corrected. So if we have a market correction and everybody's allowed to roll their their costs into these mortgages, they're going to be upside down in these these properties and you know we could we could, I'm not saying that we will, we could have a spike in foreclosure rates in a few years. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think it's something that you have to think about because as people like equity in their house People like, you know, have the equity position. It's just something, and that's really a big thing to, in today's real estate market. Uh, but if the market changes and it corrects itself, how, what kind of position does people, that put people in if they have to sell their house? Because well, if you're going to stay in your house, it doesn't matter. It's right, okay, but let, okay, so let me, let me be devil's advocate back. <laughs> um, we are going to go through cycles forever where real estate is good and then it's going up and then 
it's going to change and it's going to hit a tailspin. I think the biggest difference right now, what's going on is obviously the population factor of the people who are buying because when you've got the millennials out there as the major buying force and they outnumber the current population, that is creating a housing shortage. But if if you're gonna if you're gonna you know play the market advocate or, or, or you know devil's advocate, cycles have happened all the time in real estate, and I think we will have another cycle too because you just can't keep going, going, going. But I think that that's all that's got to be all in their plan. You know, forecasting foreclosures based on the economy shouldn't be that hard. Um, but you know, hey, I, I'm just I would I would like it. The whole goal here in my mind is. I would like it if a if a dang good FHA buyer, you know, who's qualified to the teeth, um, you know, but they're going FHA because they can afford more house because of the percentages, the percentage of your income that FHA will let you use. It's just sad when they're in competition and then they really have no chance, you know. So that's the thing that I wish they would try to recognize, like the VA did, that they had to streamline some things. To make the vets more competitive, and they are, you know. So. Yeah, Jim. Getting back to the uh, strategies, uh, another one that we have is called an escalation clause. Right. And the escalation clause means that uh, a buyer writes an offer to the seller, and part of that language in there is that the buyer will agree to pay, uh, say, five hundred dollars over the highest offer bid, and then the total offer not to exceed X amount of dollars. So, so if you've got a property for one hundred fifty thousand. And the buyer's willing to pay $500 over the highest offer bid, but he doesn't want to exceed $160,000. Uh, then that, that means that if somebody comes in and, and offers 165, that their offer's out. So we have these, uh, these other strategies called, uh, escalation clauses. Um, now a couple of other points here, Jim. From, uh, the seller side, there's two things I, say, I think that, that sellers look at. Uh, or, or consider here. And By the I think way, we got two minutes. Had, Go ahead. As a buyer's, as a buyer's agent, Jim, do you ever ask the listing agent if the, if they have any of, if one of the offers is their offer? Um. I, oh, I've been asked. Yes. Do you ever ask the agent that if you're writing the offer? No. You know, never. Who are the offers? I mean, Not you know, once. because what if an, what if the listing agent has their own offer, I, and it, you're going to email them your offer, and they're going to see it. Well, I mean, it is what it is. They, they, you know, it's going to happen, and it's happened for you know over thirty years in doing the business. You know, you just the seller is going to want to take the highest and best offer, what's best for them. But yeah, I, I hear you. There's a lot of people that are concerned about that. But I'm like, well, I wrote an offer. It's not illegal. I, I can obviously sell my own listing. Yeah, I'm going to compete. So I think the other side. What if that listing agent has? What if that listing agent has a? Uh, uh, a clause with the seller that's saying, "Hey, if, if I write an offer and uh, you know I'll take a little bit less commission on this thing if if uh, if I write the offer myself." And so, do they have an offer where there's there's like a uh, a difference in commission, which would net the seller more money? Is it important that we as buyers agents know that so well, we can adjust that? Well, we that do. Offer? I mean, they have to disclose whether or not they have a dual commission agreement in the MLS. Right. That's correct. So but I mean, them, we should be able to figure that out, and and you know, and what do you what do you do with your buyer? Well, I you know, I think they have to make their highest and best offer, but I still think the seller is going to look at the net, you know, what they're going to end up in the end, you know, in their pocket. And 
And the, the truth of the matter is, Gary, you and I and every other agent is going to be able to write offers on their own listings. That is the way it goes. And some, some buyers prefer to try to go to the listing agent thinking they have some advantage. You know, I mean, you can't stop. You can't stop the way that these things are going to happen. So I, I think it's kind of pointless to ask if, if, if you wrote the offer yourself at talking to a listing agent. I just, I just don't see where that matters. So, Gary, we got, we got another break here already. This subject is just dominating. So, folks, we're going to take a break here. We're coming back to wrap this up right after this. You're tuned into the Twin Ports Real Estate Show right here on KDAL. Back to the last segment of the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Jim Ronnie and Gary Callagher here from Remax Results. Gary, get out your phone number one more time. 218-390-0615. And my phone number is 218-348-7653. So Gary and I agreed that we probably beat the multiple offer thing to, to death. So we we're not going to go back into that one. Gary, let's move on to a new subject. Jim, where did people move out of? What states have the largest uh, people outbound, and what states have the most inbound? Oh, this, and, is, uh, this is juicy. Can I guess? Well, when we when it comes to outbound, what do you think? There's there's five of them. There's top five in each one. Okay, I'll go California, New York, um, state of Washington, uh, Oregon. What's the fifth one? It's got to be probably Michigan. I'm going to go in reverse order. I'm going to start with five. West Virginia. Nope. With the number five agent that people moved out of. Louisiana, number four. New Jersey was number three. Illinois was number two. And New York was number one. And when they polled people about why they moved, most of the people were like uh, the political climate and the fear of everything that was going on with the civil unrest. Those were the top reasons. Wow. Now, the states that had the most inbound people uh, start again at number five was Alabama. Number four was New Hampshire. Number three was Maine. Number two was North Carolina. And what do you think number one was? Florida. Idaho. 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 Wow. And there was a quote from a couple that moved out of Seattle, Washington, and they said this, that they, they uh, once the curfews, and this goes back to last summer with the pandemic, in June they had a curfew placed on their neighborhoods. They had helicopters circling their neighborhoods to make sure people weren't out, and it didn't feel like home anymore. And they, uh, they had to get out. They could work remotely. What state were they coming they went, out of? What's that? What state were those people coming out of? Washington, they brought, they brought yeah. to Seattle. Yeah, I, and, yeah, uh, they I moved think to Idaho, Oregon, they built, I mean, it's just strange what's going on. But I know, I know. But uh, he said they reduced their house payment by $1,000 a month. They have 600 square feet more in a bigger house. And they were able to buy build a house in Meridian, Idaho for 429000 And they sold their house for 630 Wow. And he said, the last thing he said was like, most surprising to us, our health is improving. Hmm. So I think these pand- this pandemic and stuff in these areas, Jim, it was a big deal for people. And we've talked about this, you know, since this happened. And uh, it's it's created a, a mass uh, exodus from some of these states. 
Yeah, I'm surprised that California wasn't on the list. I'm surprised. That, I was too. I was I'm surprised too. that Florida wasn't on the inbound list. Texas wasn't on the inbound list. Um, but you know, anyway, that's. Uh, there, people are moving away from the population centers. They don't want to yeah. be there anymore. Yep, you got that. All right, Gary, we're we're right at the end of our rope already. So why don't you finish this up by uh, giving people information on how to get a hold of you? Reach me at two one eight three nine zero zero six one five. All right, you want to throw out an email address there? You can uh, email me at gcalliger at gmail.com. Very good. All right, and my information is Jim Ronding, and of course it's jimronding at gmail.com, and 218-348-7653. Uh, Gary, last thoughts? I want to remind everybody that if they like our show and they're listening to us, that we have a podcast, and you can uh, find our podcast on the KDL. Uh, 610.com website uh, under the Twin Porch Real Estate Show. Perfect. And I just want to tell everybody, do your best to keep warm and uh, make sure your your furnace vents are clear of ice. And have a great weekend. And we're out of here. Thanks for listening to the Twin Porch Real Estate Show and we'll be back again next week.